All right. Well, um, Camelback Church of Christ welcomes each and every one of you today. Um, today we're going to be talking about um, heaven and hell, but it's basically a contrast between what hell is and what um, God is, because God, I believe, is so good and attractive that the more you know Him, the more you'll want to be close to Him. Um, I'm going to do this three different ways over the next three weeks. So this week is what I would call a traditional uh, fire and brimstone type of sermon where we talk about hell. Um, the next week I have a, a softer approach, a different approach, and the third week I'll have another approach. And so this week is what I would call the... the uh, the tough week, you'll have some people who their their response is they, they're easy to woo. You talk to them about love, you talk to them about the good things in Scripture, and it's attractive, and so they can be uh, their hearts can be touched that way. But sometimes there are people whose hearts are kind of hard, kind of like this wall. You, you've met a few people like that, right? Once in a while. Um, now that person, maybe you take a much harder attack. You probably come at them a little differently. And so this lesson is made and geared towards the type of person that would um, would maybe have a harder heart, maybe a little bit more, um, don't, maybe a little bit more of a difference in how they um, perceive Scripture, how they perceive their relationship with God. Uh, so uh, we welcome you anytime to come over to Camelback. Um, the water is ready if you are not a Christian and want to be baptized, or if you have things that you need to make right with the Lord, please feel free to contact us I mean, anytime. All the, on the bulletin, there's the contact data. You can find us um, whenever you'd like. All right, so let's talk about Scripture today. In the Bible, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 9, the Bible starts off by telling us, these will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and the glory of his power. So you can see Paul is writing to a church that is under persecution, and he wants them to hold the course. Okay, don't lose your faith. Hold the course. So he's warning them. Okay, they're your enemies that are attacking you. Their, their reward is going to be this. It's actually going to be their destruction. So you hang on because uh, don't let them dissuade you from your faith. Now, maybe in your life you've seen people that seem to have it all. You look at the life that they live, and they have good families, the good life. Maybe they've got a good job. Um, it appears like everything just goes uh, the way that uh, you want them to go. And for you, you kind of puzzle on that, right? You puzzle on that. Why, why does it seem like some people just happen to have it all? And yet, you probably have noticed that there are these good people have given up sometimes that good life for the life of sin and misery. Um, I've known people that they seem to have heaven on earth and they exchanged it for drugs or, or alternative lifestyles or alcohol or they just thought serial monogamy was the right way to go and they just they didn't like their spouse, they just left and looked for another one. Nobody forced them <clears throat> to live this life of misery. They walked right into it. <clears throat> in other words, we would say they chose a living hell. In Scripture, there, there's a long tradition where hell is a choice. And we know this um, for a fact that when people uh, choose not to follow God, by default, they're choosing the other pathway. Now, how many of you have read the book Dante's Inferno? 
Okay, you talk Dante's Inferno. It talks about the nine levels of hell. Now, I know in Scripture that's not a right description, but, but the idea of Dante's Inferno is that when a person is living their life, they have the right to choose, and then when they, when they pass away from this life, they've lost that right to choose. The choice is made for them. And that's the point of that. Scripture doesn't necessarily have an exact picture like they describe with the nine levels of hell and so forth. But the choice is still there, and the choice is yours. People can choose God and the, what he commands, or they can choose hell. That's a choice that they make. Let me show you seven things, then, that are, are helping to describe what hell is. Inside your bulletin, you'll find there's some, a place where you can kind of follow along if you wanted to take notes. And what you'll notice in there, that number one is this. Hell is a place of consciousness. That means that we'll be conscious. If a person ends up there, they'll be conscious of that place. They'll know where they're at. Remember in Luke chapter 16, down in verses 23 and 24, you might remember that in Hades, the rich man lifted up his eyes, and he was in torment. He was in pain, right? And he saw Abraham far away. And he looked at Abraham and he saw Lazarus, right, who was resting with Abraham there in his bosom. And he cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he might dip the tip of his finger in the water just to give me a drop, just to cool my tongue. And of course, that story, as you know, it's impossible. There's a great chasm between the place where people were tormented in Hades and the place where people were comforted in Hades, the paradise. So it's a place of consciousness. You'll know that you're there if you end up there. Um, it's also a place that's there that, that we would call it's a place of torment. It was dry. It was hot. It was obviously not a place where a person would have food or water or comfort. There was no lazy boys to recline in. I mean, it was not a comfortable place. You might remember in Luke 16, the rich man tried to convince Abraham to send Lazarus back because he had five brothers. And now, being in the place where he was at, and he was aware of that, conscious of that, he did not want his brothers to end up where he was at. And so, of course, he said, hey, send Lazarus back to warn them. And, of course, those brothers had the same message from the prophets and the word of God that they had at that time. So, certainly, they should have listened to that. Um, It's a dark place. Um, How many of you remember in Matthew chapter 8, down in verse 12, where it talks about, Uh, The sons of the kingdom will be cast out. The people that don't obey God, they'll be cast out. And when they are cast out, they will go out where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. Here's the description in Scripture. The city wall protected the people inside at night. And so when that city gate closed at night, if you were left outside, there were wild animals. There were marauding bands of murderers and thieves that would rob you take your stuff and leave you for dead. Uh, You did not want to be left outside at night from the city wall. Otherwise, you would have no protection. And this is a place of darkness. There were no lights. We didn't have street lights, right? When you were out there, whoa, you were out there. There was nothing for you. So hell is a place of darkness. It's a place that's not pleasant. It's not a place you want to go to. Um, Have you ever been down deep into a cave and you uh, watched as the docent turned the light switch off, and in that cave there's no light, right, without the electricity. And you can't even see your hand. I have been 
Mammoth Cave in Kentucky, and, and I could hold my hand an inch from my face, and I couldn't see my hand. That's how dark it was. Can you imagine a place like that? Terrible. Um, hell is a place that you can see up here that's a, a place of eternal separation from those that we love. Now that, I think, is the most motivating one of, of the qualities of hell. Um, in Luke 13, right, it's the place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. When you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob on the other side in paradise, then uh, you're going to know all these prophets in the kingdom of God, they made it to that side, but you yourselves, the Jews at that time who refused to believe in Jesus, they would be thrown out. And why would they be thrown out? Not because they didn't believe in when Jesus came and taught them, that he didn't accept his teachings. And that, I think, to me, knowing that there are people that we might be related to that we know are going to have this problem. And so we want to make sure, first and foremost, you know, I want to make sure my two rugrats make it into heaven. And I make it into heaven so that we can see each other when we're there. So this, to me, is one of the most motivating uh, qualities of hell. Number five is, it's a place without the slightest hope of release. So what you, what you find here is in Matthew 25, when Jesus is separating the sheep and the goats, right? The good people and the bad people. And then the, the sheep, the good people, are going to go what? To everlasting life. But these, right, all the bad people, these will go away to eternal punishment. Now, what that tells you is, this is a one-way trip. You, I don't know about you, but I haven't seen people come back from the dead. Um, now, I know in Jesus' time, he had that uh, uh, power, but I haven't seen that in this time and day and age. And once you go, it's a one-way ticket. And once you end up past that, that line, the direction of your soul is certain. So the only question you can be certain of now is whether or not you're prepared to cross that line knowing the direction. Everybody will know what happens when they get there, but it's a place where it, once it's done, it's done. There's not a hope of going back. Number, uh, excuse me, number six is, it's a place where we'll have memory of our life. Um, you ever notice that um, there are what they call NDEs, near-death experiences? And people that have come back from near-death experiences say that they can see their whole life like one big picture. And they can tell kind of how what they did here affected people over here and affected people over there. And it's really interesting when they've come back from those near-death experiences to describe that it really matters how you live right now. Because the things that you say and do affect people for longer than your presence. We don't always know the good that we do or the bad that we do, right? Sometimes we can see it up front, but most of the time we might be planting a seed in someone's heart and we don't necessarily know when it's going to blossom, right? When it's going to grow. So there's this thing about memory, and you notice that the rich man in Luke 16, right, he says, I beg you, send somebody back. Why? Because he could remember who he was and what his life had been. And so he was worried that his father's household, where all those, his other brothers were, would end up in the same place that he was going to end up. And I think the last one, and this is something that's so important, there are many world religions right now that try to teach that hell is not really real. Um, you talk about several religions, even denominations that claim to follow Christ, will say that, that everybody just ends up in heaven. It's just which level of heaven you end up in. And I don't think the scriptures teach that. Scriptures teach that hell is a real place. And if you don't obey God, this is the place where you end up. 
Remember in Matthew chapter 7 when Jesus says, There is wide and easy is the path that leads down to where? To destruction, and many will go down that path. But straight and narrow is the path that leads to eternal life, and few will, will be who find it. And so it's something you have to work at, right? We look for that path, and then we try to stay on that path. And we know that Satan is alive and well, and he wants to harm people, and there's, there is evil in the world we have to deal with, and we try to do the best we can. So how perfect we are at this is certainly a process, right? Not an end. But the fact that we walk this path means that it's a different life than if we were to just go with the flow. And it, sometimes it sounds easy to just go with the flow, like water, right? following the path of easy, least resistance. But you know what? As Christians, uh, we need to recognize this is a real place, and the end of that path is not a place you want to go. Now, having said that, let me put some context in this, because there's actually a lot of victory here. Even though there is the warning, right, that these people are going to be separated from God. In 2 Thessalonians 5, I want to read several passages, 5 through 12, on these seven verses. We'll start with these two. But I want you to see that there is victory for those that walk the straight and narrow path. Now I want you to see that God is so attractive. I'm going to share with you four qualities after this that will help us to see that God is more attractive than, than wanting to go to this place called hell. Um, so notice in Scripture, the, the church is under persecution in Thessaloniki. Paul is challenging them to keep the faith. He is helping them understand that even though they're going through some suffering, this very real persecution going on, that this is, this is a plain indication of God's righteous judgment so that you'll be considered worthy. Sometimes we suffer for the name, right? Sometimes people make fun of us or they put us down or it costs us something to be able to say, I am a Christian. Um, but for indeed, for which indeed you're suffering, for all it is only just, this is just just for God to repay with affliction, those who afflict you, and then as you can see in the next verse there, to afflict, give relief to you who are afflicted by us as well. There's an old saying that says preachers are supposed to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comforted. <laughs> you might have heard that term before. But here it is. Uh, you can see what the Lord's doing here. And, and to us as well, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels and flaming fire, dealing retribution to those who do not know God, and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. So you can see there is a time coming when the Lord will repay. Notice what he says as we continue on there. These people, the ones that do not obey, they will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from, separated from the presence of the Lord, and from the glory of his power when he comes to be glorified in his saints on that day, the day of judgment, and to be marveled at among all who have believed, for our testimony to you was believed. So you see there's some comfort in that. Okay, You're going through persecution and suffering. Don't worry. The Lord is letting you go through this to show that you're counted as worthy. But guess what? There's coming. There's coming. They will get theirs, right? Their comeuppance will come. Don't worry about it. You hang on to your faith. When, when judgment happens, these people will be separated from God. And they think, they might even think they're doing God's will in trying to harm you. And so to this end, we pray for you always, that our God will count you worthy of your calling and fulfill every desire for goodness and the work of faith with power, so that the name of our Lord Jesus will be glorified and you in Him, according to the grace 
of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. So you can see that, church. You can see that, church. Paul is trying to encourage the church by saying, you're suffering? Yeah, hang on. God might be just letting you go through this to show, hey, you're one of his. Sometimes when people have the thumb put on them, they, they in the pressure, they kind of buckle under the pressure. So if um, the Romans uh, would come and say, do you renounce your faith in Jesus Christ? And if, and if they renounced it, well, good, you're a good Roman citizen, go home. Well, no, I will not renounce Christ. Well, guess what? You get the sword. We take you to the Colosseum where you get to fight the wild animals or our best warriors that tear you up. You know, there are costs involved in following Christ. We have a lot of comfort here in the States. We have to be careful about not letting that comfort make us so comfortable that we forget that it does take some effort on our part to walk that pathway. But we do know this. We do know that God will save. So really, who's to blame? Um, for example, if you know somebody is driving up onto a canyon road and they see that the bridge is busted and they stop and they start to put up a sign and they try to warn, you know, to warn people, hey, don't go over this. This bridge is broken. If you go drive over this, you're going to fall to your death. You're not going to be able to make it. And somebody comes driving and they're just barreling down the road, not even considering what's going on. And the, and the man, point, you know, and you can be pointing at the sign saying, hey, warning, look at the sign. And and a last-ditch effort, run out and try to stop them. And that person doesn't think a thing of it, and they just run you over and run straight off that edge over to their death. Who's to blame in that? Of course, the person who is driving the car. And that's the same. God will allow us to assume the responsibility for the choice that we make. He's not going to send. God doesn't send people to hell. God is love. He wants men to be saved, all people to be saved. So there's no, there's no uh, limit to what God will forgive if people will turn and repent and go after God and do what he says. That's the amazing thing about God. He has a much greater capacity. He has a much greater heart, bigger heart than, than you and I. He is, a, he is able to forgive many things that you and I might have a hard time letting go. But that's because he's our big God. So nobody can turn and blame God and say, well, it's your fault I ended up here. No, by your own will a person will choose so beloved this is our lesson for today and there's four qualities about God I want to share with you because I think God is good and I think God does good things for his children I think God wants to do good things for you and I Um, there are four characteristics of God that I think would draw us to him rather than push us away among all the among many things that we can talk about about God But I think the first one is that God is a compassionate God. God is a compassionate God. You guys might know the old story about the lawyer and the man. Well, there was a lawyer, and he was driving home after a long day of work, and he lived out in the countryside on a big old country estate that bordered a golf course. And as he's driving down the road, he sees out in the field, there's a man sitting there, and he's eating grass. And well, he stops the car and he runs out. He says, man, what are you doing? Why are you eating grass? And the man looks up at the lawyer and says, well, I I lost my job. Um, My wife left me because we couldn't afford our house. We lost our house. I mean, I'm just down on my luck. I've got nothing left except the shirt on my back and the shoes on my feet. And so I'm just out here just sitting here just eating grass because I'm hungry. Well, the lawyer feels moved. 
And so he tells the man, he says, well, come get in the car with me. I, I, I want to help you. And as they're driving along this country road, they, they're about to turn into this beautiful country estate where this lawyer lives. All of a sudden, they make that turn, and the, and the man looks at that beautiful estate, and he looks at the lawyer and says, thank you so much, sir. I promise I will not let you down. I'm so glad. I'll make sure that this is, you know, this is my turning point, and I'll, I'll make something of myself. And the lawyer looks at him and says, well, don't worry. I have a big estate. There's plenty of grass. <laughs> that is not an example of compassion. <laughs> that is not compassion. <laughs> compassion is Jesus when he says, a bruised reed he will not break, right? A better a reed or a bruised reed he will not break. Compassion is what motivates us to go out of our way to help somebody with their physical care, their spiritual care, their emotional care. These are things that, that when, when, when a person hurts in the church, we hurt, right? If we're all one body, when the body hurts, we all hurt. When the body's happy, we're all happy. And so these are the things about showing compassion. I believe when God looked at our estate and he saw that we were a people who were lost, a people who were without Christ, I bet he said, you know what, I can help that. I know what I can do. I will send my son. He can solve this problem. And you and I know that we're beneficiaries of that sacrifice that Jesus gave on the cross. How could we look out on the lost and not be moved with compassion? I think it's impossible. But Jesus is the first example. Compassion is that sensitivity to suffering, and you can see that, right? And Matthew 12, 20, about that battered reed. It is Jesus who had compassion on us and God. And remember in, uh, in, in Romans 5, 8, right? Just at the right time, God, Christ died for the ungodly. Jesus came and died for people who would not even understand what happened until long after. Remember, even the apostles thought that Jesus was coming to establish a new earthly kingdom. And Jesus had taught them all along, no, I am establishing a spiritual kingdom kingdom, an eternal kingdom, and yet it took them forever. It took them till the time when he is about to be ascended, right, in Acts chapter 1, where Peter, Lord, shall we, uh, shall we restore the kingdom of God? And he's like, no, Peter, it's not for you. When God's ready to come back and take care of business, he'll take care of us. You just get to work, and that's what the angels told him after Jesus ascended, right? The way you saw him come, the way he's coming back, get to work. Your work now is a spiritual work, establishing a spiritual kingdom. It's no longer about a location, it's about a heart issue. And he's established all of that by going to the cross and dying for our sins. I think the second quality about God is that he is a gracious God. Graciousness is an act of showing divine grace. It's that desire on God's part to offer that grace freely. Now, Let's be real clear about the definition of grace. In Greek, it's charis, but all that means is favor. Now, in the denominational world, there's a lot of additions that have been made to the word grace by trying to say there's certain things like divine grace or irresistible grace or all this other stuff. Cut all that out because it's not in Scripture. Grace is in Scripture. And what you find with that word grace is God bestowed his grace upon us through Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, right? You are saved by faith through grace. It is a gift of God, not of yourselves, so that no man can boast. And, in, and because we've been created, how? In verse 10, for the good works that Christ Jesus has made for us. We have good works that we're created to do. 
And so there's something about this that we need to clear off of our plate. There's no extra additional language or complex wording and stuff to get confused by. Grace is just God having favor on us. He desires to have favor. God is love. God desires to offer grace freely to all who will accept that. And if you will, then he offers that forgiveness. Remember, when a person is baptized in the water, right, and they come up out of that water, you are now washed clean, right? It's in that water where you die to yourself. You touch that blood of Christ, right? This is figuratively speaking. And you come up out of that water, you're washed clean. You are now arisen to walk in newness of life. That's Romans chapter 6. And so now from that point forward, you are a new creature. You've clothed yourself with Christ. The old man is gone. The new person has come. On all the good things that you we were talking about, the biggest one I would think of is that in God's grace, he offers forgiveness to us. There's nothing we can do to earn it. We, don't owe, we can't owe God enough and earn enough to make God pay us. He offers it freely for us to receive if we're willing to obey what he taught. And so that's just really something so uh, fascinating to me. People will forget God's favor and turn away from it simply by their own choice rather than choose to be saved. Well, um, so I want to share with you a passage. This is the passage that um, we read at the beginning of church yesterday, but I want to share it with you today at the end because this is really the quality of God. And I've just talked about two. There's two more I'll add in just a minute. But I want you to notice something. Moses has been called up a second time to Mount Sinai. And he has been told to bring two more tablets and the Lord would write the Ten Commandments down a second time. Remember the first time he was angry because of Aaron and he broke those, so he had to go back and get a, get a copy. <laughs> and so he comes up to the mountain and he brings these tablets and here is what the Lord talks about himself to Moses so that the people would understand what kind of God they would be serving. And notice what it says here in Scripture. In Exodus 34, verse 6, the Bible says, Then the Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious. Here's the other two qualities, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth. So you can see in Scripture, God is a loving God. He keeps that loving kindness for thousands who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. Yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquity of fathers on the children and the grandchildren to the third and fourth generations. So you see, God is a loving God. He's a gracious God. But but at the same time, there is a time when he will clean house. And if you know anything about the Old Testament, you'll know there were times when God took care of business because the people were disobedient. So these are those four qualities of God. He is a compassionate God, a gracious God. He is slow to anger. And aren't you glad he's slow to anger? I mean, we've all made, we've all sinned. We've all made mistakes. But aren't you glad he's slow to anger? He doesn't just immediately whack. You know, we don't get that immediate punishment. And he abounds in loving kindness. I think those four qualities are qualities that are so magnetic that you would want to be attracted to God rather than pushed away from God simply to fall into that wide and easy and end up in hell. To me, that is one of the most amazing things about God. And so the invitation is yours, friend. Will you heed the call to obey God's command or will you choose the fiery way? The choice is yours. Won't you choose to follow God? But if not, 
if not immediately, if not instant repentance today, won't you choose to do it soon? And if you need to, please call us. The date is right there on the bulletin. I'd be glad to get the water ready to baptize you. The choice is yours. And so, we'll sing a song that would be considered an invitation song, so you can think about that, and then maybe make that right.